It's TechBiter Worldwide with Bill Flynn. The latest on programs and policies, helpful hints, and a bit of occasional nonsense. All in more or less plain English. Podcast number 845 for the 18th of August, 2023. This week, Mozilla has been working on a new version of Thunderbird for a while, and the combination of improvements, new features, and ongoing debugging make it well worth looking into, regardless of which email application you're using right now. In short circuits, sometimes Microsoft does something so astonishingly ignorant that it's hard to believe management was even aware of it. I'll describe what seems to be a dumb and petty decision to pull support for the OneNote Clipper from Firefox. Usually, I recommend against extended warranties, but sometimes they can be a good value, particularly with expensive mobile devices that can easily be damaged. And 20 years ago, only on the website, spam was a big problem in 2003. Back then, we had no idea how bad it could be. After a long time with no major updates, and not very many minor updates, Mozilla has released a new version of Thunderbird that drags the interface out of the early 2000s and adds features that lots of users have been begging for. And this is only the beginning. Mozilla calls this version Supernova. Now, Wikipedia says this about supernova. A supernova is a powerful and luminous explosion of a star. A supernova occurs during the last evolutionary stages of a massive star, or when a white dwarf is triggered into runaway nuclear fusion. The original object, called the progenitor, either collapses to a neutron star or a black hole, or is completely destroyed to form a diffuse nebula. The peak of optical luminosity of a supernova can be comparable to that of an entire galaxy before fading over several weeks or months. Well, I certainly hope that doesn't happen with Thunderbird's latest version, 115, with the name Supernova. I rather like Thunderbird, and I don't want to see it destroy itself. Maybe the name was selected by somebody, or some committee, that thought the term simply meant really bright and had nothing to do with star suicide. But, as usual, I digress. Regardless of the silly name, Thunderbird version 115 is a huge improvement for an email application that hasn't received much attention from Mozilla for many, many years. Let's start with the user interface. Perhaps the most significant addition is the ability to enable a unified folders view. If you have a lot of email accounts, this might be exactly what you want. It's not enabled by default, and when enabled, the unified view is at the bottom of the folders list. I have Thunderbird Monitor 7 accounts, so I enabled unified folders, and I moved that view up to the top of the folders list. Now all of my unread messages, regardless of which account they're in, appear in a single location. 
I first saw a unified view option on email clients intended for smartphones. It was a welcome feature there, and it's a welcome feature in Thunderbird on the desktop. I can see at a glance all new messages to my blind.com and techbiter.com addresses, along with those to Gmail, Outlook, my ISP's address, a client account, and a special account I use only with banks. Color coding makes obvious which messages belong to which accounts. Before you get to the unified view, though, you'll see a lot of subtle interface enhancements and some that aren't so subtle. The default view for earlier versions of Thunderbird placed the email view below the received messages panel. I had changed to a three-column view, so I didn't recognize the new default as being anything new. In version 115, the default is a third column to the right that shows the email without having to double-click it. New Thunderbird installations will default to that three-column view, but upgrading will use whichever view you were using in the past, and then you can change it if you want to. The new message count in version 115 is more obvious because it is now right justified in the leftmost column, and it's in a blue oval. The tabular view for received messages is also still available if you like it, but there's a new view called the card view that allows for use of a much narrower column. After the update, I still had the three-panel layout along with the calendar column in the far right. The unified inbox worked with the table view that I'd become familiar with. I added an account column to make the accounts more obvious. But then I tried the card view and found it to be even better after I created filters that color-coded and tagged messages from each of the email accounts. This change allowed me to increase the width of the message view column and the calendar column. If you've used Thunderbird on a tablet, the close spacing of lines might have been a problem for you. Version 115 allows you to control the spacing from normal or tight to two options with increasingly loose spacing. This is really helpful if you're working with a touchscreen or a small high-resolution monitor. You can also modify the type size for the entire application. It's not a new feature, but Thunderbird syncs with your Google Calendar, so you can see what's on your agenda for the day without having to leave Thunderbird. The calendar can appear as a sidebar, but it can also be on a tab if you'd like it there. The calendar tab can display the current day, week, several weeks, or a month. And you can limit the display to just your work week, which you can define if it's not a traditional Monday through Friday week. And Mozilla promises more is coming. Supernova is constantly evolving, they say. Throughout the next year, we'll deliver many improvements to existing Supernova features and introduce brand new ones, including Thunderbird Sync. That sounds promising. If there's a disappointment, it's this. There is still no iOS or Android version of Thunderbird. That may be coming, probably not. But for now, I'm using Canary on both my Android phone and an iPad tablet, and that works just fine. Thunderbird may update itself automatically. That happened on my primary computer, but for some reason not on the Surface tablet. If your installation doesn't update, you can download the latest version from the Thunderbird website. You'll find a link on the TechBiter Worldwide website. Versions are available for Windows, Mac OS, and Linux. So if you're wondering what's new, I have listed just a few of the features from the release notes, and there's also on the TechBiter Worldwide website a link to the full release notes. It's really pretty remarkable what they've done.
As with most new and updated applications, some features may be broken. I use the Send Later add-on to delay sending messages for three minutes. That's long enough for me to realize that I've forgotten to include an attachment or some other information that I had intended to. Add the missing information and then click the Send button again. The developer already had a new version in test, and it'll probably be available as a standard add-on by the time you hear this. I downloaded a beta version of SendLater, and it works just fine. I also use an add-on that allows me to manually sort folders. That add-on hasn't yet been updated, but it may not be as important as it was in the past with that unified inbox. Mozilla has added some clever safety and security features, too. Thunderbird examines messages and warns if they appear to be phishing attempts designed to convince you to hand over personal and confidential information. Additionally, Thunderbird warns users who click a link that appears to be taking the browser to a website other than the one shown in the text. This new version of Thunderbird is well worth a look, even if your primary email application is something other than Thunderbird. As I mentioned earlier, it's available for Windows, Mac OS, and Linux. And there's a link on the TechBiter Worldwide website to the Mozilla website. If you find these podcasts useful, and I hope you do, might you consider a donation? There are no ads here, and support from listeners is the sole source of income. It's easy. Just visit the website and click the Donate button near the top of any page. You can make a one-time donation or schedule a repeating donation every month. I thank you. And so does the cat. In short circuits, no matter how large a company is or how well managed it is, someone in the organization can still do something so astonishingly ignorant that it calls into question the overall business acumen of top management. Case in point, Microsoft has modified the OneNote Clipper so that it no longer works with Firefox. Thanks, by the way, to Rick Ballantyne for bringing that to my attention. OneNote is a semi-hidden gem, and Microsoft has made no small number of mistakes with that product. A couple of years ago, Microsoft introduced a new version of OneNote that runs only as an app. That would have been fine if all of the functionality of the original standalone program had been maintained. But it wasn't. So Microsoft made the old version available and eventually restored the old version as the main version. Those who want the watered-down app version can still get it, but until Microsoft ports all of the functionality, who would really want it? OneNote Clipper loads when OneNote starts and provides an automatic copy and paste capability. Users can activate Clipper in another application or a web browser to send data directly to OneNote. I've never really liked Clipper because it's possible to print to OneNote or to use a capture application such as Snagit or the built-in print screen function. Because I disabled Clipper, I didn't notice when Microsoft withdrew support for Firefox. Not only that, but anybody who tries to use Clipper in Firefox is shown an insulting message. I'll quote it. OneNote Clipper is no longer supported on Firefox browser and works best using a modern browser like Microsoft Edge. 
Excuse me, Microsoft, but Firefox is just as modern as Edge. It does some things better than Edge. Are you really having so much trouble convincing people to use Edge that you have to use questionable tactics like these? Microsoft hasn't even communicated this well within the company. Microsoft agent Jaslyn Hu, writing on Microsoft's support site, says, and I quote, I researched a lot on my side, but did not find any articles or information where Microsoft has officially confirmed this. Well, needless to say, users were annoyed. So far, the print to OneNote function still works, but it's installed as a printer, so it's available to any application that can address a printer. And it's still possible to use, as I said, a screen capture app or Microsoft's built-in print screen function to copy information to the buffer and then Control-V to paste it into OneNote. But really, come on, Microsoft. Don't be stupid. You can fix this. Although I generally decline extended warranties, sometimes having one can be helpful. Whether to accept one depends on several factors. How expensive is the item you're being offered a warranty for? How much does the extended warranty cost? And how likely are you to need it? Those are the three primary criteria for me, and the third point is primarily responsible for my buying decision. I generally decline the extended warranties for electronic devices if the product has a one-year warranty from the manufacturer, although sometimes it's only 90 days. If something is going to go wrong with a computer or a similar device, it probably is going to happen sooner rather than later. I don't mistreat my gear. So far, I have avoided dropping a camera or a phone into an airline toilet, running over it with a car, although I did have one close call in that regard, or having it struck by lightning. Although again, there was a kind of a close call with lightning too. I do know people who can't seem to safeguard their phones for more than six months and for whom extended warranties are absolutely essential. When I bought a smartwatch in July of last year for $180, Amazon offered an Asurion three-year warranty for $17. That plan has now increased to $25, and normally I would have declined, but watches differ from other electronic devices. Being worn on the wrist, they're apt to be knocked around a bit, and there's a question of sweat, too, even though it's supposedly water-resistant. The watch had a one-year warranty from Samsung, but Asurion takes responsibility for that period, meaning that there's never a question about who is responsible. The three-year warranty added about 10% to the price, so I accepted the offer. Asurion has been around for a long time. It now owns the U-Break iFix stores and works with most of the cellular service providers, Amazon, Costco, LG, Walmart, and a lot more. As it turned out, buying the extended warranty was a good decision. In July, less than a week after the one-year manufacturer's warranty expired, my Samsung watch stopped recording steps, and I sent it to Asurion for repairs. UPS returned the watch, but delivered it to the wrong location. That is certainly not Asurion's fault. That's all on UPS. But it was an inauspicious start, even after we located the misdirected package. A sticker with a tracking number had been placed on the back of the watch. Now, that's reasonable. But it'd be better if Asurion used stickers with an adhesive that didn't leave a residue that's all but impossible to remove. 
cleaning the excess adhesive off the watch took more than 30 minutes, and they use a lot of 91% isopropyl alcohol. The repair involved replacing the motherboard. Hard to think of a watch having a motherboard, but they do have them. That gave the device a new serial number and one other change that wasn't immediately apparent, a new model number. When powered on, the watch would not connect to the Samsung Wear app on my phone. Bluetooth had been disabled on the watch, and the repair notes failed to mention that. I turned Bluetooth on, but the watch still would not connect. I rebooted the watch, and it still did not connect to the phone. I rebooted the phone, and the watch still would not connect. I uninstalled and reinstalled the Wear app, and the watch would still not connect to the phone. Then I used the computer to determine whether the phone was actually transmitting a Bluetooth signal. It was, and that's how I learned that the watch was now identifying as model 7F60 instead of model F4CO. So the phone had been attempting to connect to a device that was no longer present. After switching the Bluetooth pairing from F4CO to 7F60, the Wear app was able to see the watch, connect to it, and restore most of the settings. Couple of exceptions. The restored weather app was set to display Celsius, not Fahrenheit, and it was not set to use the current location's data. That's all fixed now. And the step counter appears to be working. Time will tell. So let's rate the players here. Asurion receives a C-plus grade. It would have been an A-plus because the actual service time was only one day, but they fell short when the package was misdelivered. I explained that I had already contacted UPS, but the first company service person I spoke to at Asurion simply connected me back to UPS. The second rep promised an email response in three to five days. The response arrived the next day, but it requested a police report, even though I had explained the package had been misdelivered, not stolen. At that point, the grade for Asurion was B+. Then they responded with an additional message that said, We can't approve your claim. We reviewed your Samsung Electronics smartwatch claim. The product in your claim is not covered by your plan. As a result, we are unable to approve the claim. Now keep in mind this was after they had repaired the watch and returned it to me. No charge. So one has to wonder if anyone at Asurion really reads messages from consumers. And as for UPS, well, they get an F-. Besides delivering the package to the wrong address, their automated help chatbot provided no way for me to speak with a real person and refused to open a claim even after I provided all of the information it requested. Nice job, UPS. You don't have to depend on UPS to deliver 20 years ago because it's already waiting for you on the TechBiter Worldwide website. This week, we look back to 2003 when we thought spam was about as bad as it could get. Thanks for listening to TechBiter Worldwide. I'm Bill Blinn. There's more on the website, techbiter.com, and if you have a question or a comment, use the contact link you'll find there. Stop by again next week for another session. <laughs> <laughs>